Well, good evening. Hey, I thank you guys. I mean, it's the first day that we haven't had rain in what over a week, and I'm sure there's a lot of yard work that's going undone today because you're here. Uh, I actually was like, I could measure my mine with at least a six-inch ruler. Uh, so, <clears throat> lots of stuff that needs to be done, but I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm thankful today is the you know the day of prayer. It's good that our nation has the day where we recognize that we're to, um, you know, come together and pray. I just wish that we were doing it every day as a nation. So uh, it kind of ties me into our lesson today. We're going to be talking again and continuing in our series about how God makes men. The principle of how God makes men is uh, by making disciples this time uh, and how God equips men to reach other men. Just a quick thing that I like to say is that, you know, we're all called to be disciples, but we're called to be disciples that make disciples. And today's, uh, today's lesson is going to be about discipleship, and um, we're going to focus on the life of uh, Peter. Uh, Pat Morley, in his book, uh, says how to make disciples, and he's talking about how uh, we're going to go through today, we're just going to go through uh, the life of Peter the time he spent with Jesus, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, post-resurrection and the ministry that Peter was uh, leading in and how he was making disciples. Uh, you know, we're at a time and a place in this world where uh, it seems like Christian influence, in it, at least in our nation, is absent. And I know our world, our, our nation is probably the strongest right now, but it just seems like our morality and our leadership as Christian men seems to be absent in the workplace. It seems to be absent every time you turn on the TV. Um, there's some stats here that is in Pat Morley's book uh, talking about why Christian men need to be discipled. He said 48% of women are choosing cohabitation over marriage. 41% of babies are born to single mothers. 36% of children live in homes without their biological fathers. 18% of pregnancies are terminated by abortion. And church attendance has dropped to 17.7% overall and dropped by 13.3% just among men. Why are these statements important? They're important because we're seeing an absence of leadership. And I, I look back a little bit, and I think you guys probably can too, when we, we think about all the movements in the early 2000s that were really trying to take men out of leadership roles. Uh, there were a couple bad actors and there were a couple movements that took place to address that. Uh, and it just seems like men have lost their spot in the leadership roles because there's been so, many, uh, so much browbeating and stuff like that in our community. Uh, and then you see, once that movement stopped, uh, we don't even, we're not even allowed to define man and woman anymore. Uh, and that's not, that's not okay. As, as Christian men in this room, uh, we're to disciple one another. We're to define what morality is. We're to define what Christian living is supposed to be like. And we're not supposed to uh, just kowtow to anybody that walks in a room. And it's, it's easy, I can understand, it's easy for people to get sidetracked, but as men, 
We need to be involved in our community. We need to be involved in our families. Uh, Nobody else needs to be the influence in our families' lives uh, like we need to be. You know, and sometimes it could be, I just work all the time. And, you know, I'm sure there's a number of us all here that can raise our hand about how many times uh, we could say where things went undone that we should have been doing for our children because we were working. But that means somebody else steps up and takes our place, even if it's just for a short time. We talk about influencers. Uh, You look around all the time. Everybody's a social media influencer now, aren't they? You guys see it on the internet? Anybody? Some of you guys maybe not, but you know, there's Snapchat and there's, uh, what is it, the reels for the Facebook and there's, what, um, Instagram and TikTok and all these things. And these people, they make you laugh. You turn it on and you watch their video and they make you laugh and you think that's cool. And so then you become one of those people that, that you're chasing uh, what their thread has to say today. So you want to pick it up again tomorrow. And, and your kids are doing this. And so, you know, I've even caught myself watching a certain person's take on stuff every day, just seeing what they had to say, only because I wanted to, you know, they're my jester. They make me laugh, right? So I turn it on and I watch what they have to say. Then all of a sudden, one day, they decide to share their opinions. And I'm like, well, I, didn't, I don't want your opinions. Just, you know, make me laugh. It's like when you watch Hollywood and they do an interview and they, they start bad-mouthing everybody and everything. When they're, and you're like, I don't, I don't want your opinion, act, right? I don't want your opinion, play football. I don't want your opinion, play baseball, play bat, whatever it is. You're entertaining me in this capacity. I don't, I don't want to hear all that other stuff, right? You're, you don't have an agenda. You shouldn't have an agenda, but we do as believers, right? Our agenda is to promote Jesus. Our agenda as disciple makers is to make men into the image of Christ, influencing each other it's not just an accountability group it can be it's not just getting together with a couple friends but it it can be what we're going to see today is when Peter uh, Peter went into the world to make disciples like he was told to do he had to make disciples first right he had to bring people over to our way of thinking to understand uh, to understand the ministry of Jesus as told in the gospel. Pat Morley said, God makes men by a process of calling, equipping, and sending us so that we can call, equip, and send others. Uh, The only way I would change that is that I would change the second half of that to say so that we can be used in calling, equipping, and sending so what is, what is dis- discipleship? What's discipleship mean? What is a disciple? Disciple comes from the Greek word methetes. It means pupil or learner. Someone who adheres to the person and teachings of Jesus or a follower. Uses a verb, it means it's the process by which God calls us to salvation. Equips us to live the Christian life and sends us to live with Jesus for his glory in short, the definition of discipleship means uh, and helps make disciples also. So tonight we're going to take a look at Peter's life and his discipleship time. Using, we're going to use this life of Peter. We're going to go look at some of the lessons that Jesus taught him. Um, 
And then we're going to see later how he puts these into practice. I want to start out with Peter's calling. We know that Peter, we know that Peter was first introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew. Uh, Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And when Andrew uh, met Jesus or John the Baptist directed him to Jesus, uh, he immediately stopped following John the Baptist and started following Jesus and then brought his brother to him. Peter's calling is kind of unique, and you can see it in uh, Luke 5, 8 through 10. Uh, but first, Peter, uh, Jesus was on the bank, and he was teaching, and Peter and John and James and Andrew were all cleaning their nets after fishing all night, and uh, Jesus asked us, steps in the boat with Peter and asks him to push off the shore so that he can teach from the boat. And so he's sitting down and he's teaching out of the boat. And when he gets done, he asks Peter to go out into the deep water. And Peter goes out in the deep water. He says, now drop your nets. You're going to catch some fish. And Peter, reluctantly, I'm sure, just cleaned every one of his nets. And Peter, knowing that you fish all night, not in a day, reluctantly he goes out and he says nevertheless whatever you say lord i'll do it and he drops the nets and they get these so many fish that all four you know all, both boats have to come out there and pull them in ashore and peter's words in verse eight he says but when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus's knees saying depart from me for i am a sinful man O lord for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken in and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Uh, poor Zebedee, right? Poor, he just got left with all the fish and all the boats. That's James and John's dad, for those of you who don't know. Uh, so that was Peter's calling. How many of you can remember when you were called? How many of you responded immediately? How many of you ran like Jonah and made Jonah and made everybody sick, like Butch says every Sunday? Yeah. Um, when we're trying to reach others for Christ, when we're trying to reach other people for Christ, we need to understand um, first of all uh, that we're all in different walks of life. You know, it's real easy to present the gospel, maybe to some people, maybe not to others, but uh, we're still called to do that. Uh, but when we present the gospel, uh, we got to remember where people are, and it's not going to take all the time. But when you have opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, uh, can we disciple? Can we disciple men before they know Jesus? I mean, we're trying to get them there, right? I've had uh, members of, uh, well, the company I used to work for where guys were, they were going through divorce. And I would just say, uh, they're getting ready to go through divorce and they're asking me my opinion about this. Why well, know you go to church? Let me ask you. I know you go to church. Well, why don't you go to church? Well, I don't want to do that yet. Right? And so I'd be like, okay, but whatever I tell you, you just know it's rooted in scripture. I'm not going to give you any of these kind answers that you're looking for me to cater to your emotions or whatever. Whatever I have to say is going to come right out of God's word when I talk about how you're supposed to treat your wife. 
So if you don't like that, I'm giving you the first, I'm giving you a real quick chance to early out on me on this conversation, right? <clears throat> so we have to be careful of that. Uh, we do share with Peter. Uh, our calling is something, uh, something that we have in common with Peter because Peter in Acts 1.8 was told, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses, right? We're, we're called to be witnesses for Christ. Witnesses in our family, our communities, our churches, our work. Uh, Matthew 28, 9, right? You're not only to be witnesses, but now you're to go and make disciples. You're going to go and make disciples. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So we're to be witnesses, we're to go and make disciples, and we're to teach them the truths. And in John 20, 21, Jesus says, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So we're to equip. Discipleship is equipping. So we're to equip them and uh, we're to be equipped and we're to help equip others. Uh, After bringing people to Christ, after receiving their calling, equipping them is next. Right, and so I got this... I'll just ask for your your forgiveness here. I tried to have alliteration in my my lesson tonight. Not too good, right? So discipleship, first of all, is I had, um, so I was going to use all G's and ended up, the first one I just didn't, um, Jamie and I talked about it, right? That's my wife for those of you uh, who don't know my wife, but we talked about it and I said, discipleship is messy. And she goes, but if you want to stay with your tech you should say gross and I don't want to say gross because it does it implies something else I guess I don't know so but discipleship first and foremost can be messy think about Peter in this uh, when Jesus gave him the fish he said depart from me for I'm a sinful man Um, we don't know why he said that he could have said that because he's got someone confessed sin or something going on in his life he could have just said that because he realized he was in the presence of something so much more powerful than him. Peter tended to act first and think second. He was a ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. What I do is I thank God for Peter because I feel like I I have a lot of similarities with him. If you think about Peter, he's the one who asked the questions that we all would have just sat there and waited. Maybe somebody else will ask that question and there'd go Peter, right? Maybe... Maybe it'll click in the back of my head if I don't say anything and Jesus will just keep talking. Peter was immediately looking for clarity and he gets a bad rap about it, but since it helps my lesson and my theme right here, I'm gonna keep going with it. Peter's, uh, so Peter told Jesus, explain the parable to us in Matthew 15. Peter said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brothers in Matthew 18? We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us in Matthew 19? Peter brought that up. Uh, And that uh, Jesus gave a nice long answer talking about uh, how they're going to receive everything basically for eternity and talking about the end times. Uh, All these are questions that Peter is asking that that may not have been there had we didn't have a Peter to ask them, right? So Peter says, tell us when these things will happen in Mark 13. Lord, are you telling us this parable just to us or is this to everyone? Right, things that you might go, well, maybe I can just get the gist of it. Peter was looking for clarity. He was always seeking clarity. 
Uh, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Lord, why can't I follow you in John 13? In John 12, Peter says, what about him? In reference to John, when they're out there on the beach, when Jesus had told Peter uh, how, he may die, how he was going to end up dying, and he said, what about John? What's going to happen to him? <clears throat> Think about Peter after the feeding of the 4,000, though. Because of his voice, because Peter says what's on his mind, uh, after the feeding of the 4,000 in, in John 6, Jesus gave a hard teaching. He was shaking them out to see who was going to believe in me because they believed that I had life eternal at heart or who's in here for just a free meal. And then people started falling away and, and Jesus looked at his 12 and he said, well, what about you? Peter says, where would we go? You have the works of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. Peter several times in the Gospels proclaims Jesus as the Messiah before anybody else had. <clears throat> but that being said, he also cut off Matthias's ear in the garden. He denies Jesus three times. He, along with a lot of the other disciples, had preconceived notions um, about how Jesus was to save this world. A lot of people were looking for a, a ruler and a king to set up his earthly kingdom. And Jesus said, that's not the way this is going to go down. And Pete, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to have to die. And in three days, I'm going to rise. And Peter pulls him aside and rebukes Jesus. And he, he gets the worst rebuke of anybody in the New Testament when he says, uh, get behind me, Satan. So it's not only messy, but it can also be very, very good, right? Discipleship is good in that we are acting according to God's will. We're coming alongside. We're helping to bring other people to a right relationship with God uh, and bring them closer to his word. Having fellowship with one another. We're strengthening each other's faith. Our faith is being strengthened. Um, discipleship is gratifying. It's satisfying seeing other people's lives transformed, not in a look what I've done, but looking at what God has done kind of way. Uh, discipling in humility, right? When we pull a group of guys together to disciple, we're not sitting around the table and sitting there going, come to me, I have all the answers, right? We're discipling out of humility. Hey, what does God's word have to say about that? Not what does Sean have to say about that? Um, so it's, it's more in a look what God's kind of, it's definitely in a look what God's doing kind of way. Um, and the best, the best example that I have of this is, is for me, when I was, I was a young man, I was probably 19, and I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, there were two people that would be out there in our barracks right at the where the steps were uh, they call it the quarter deck but most people don't know what a quarter deck is so it's the entrance right uh so they're standing there and i probably told most of you guys have probably heard this but those of you haven't uh so i walk past them and they're like hey you know we we live out in town and we know that some of you guys you know you haven't had a home-cooked meal you don't hang out with people 
uh, other than the, you know, the military guys. So what we like to do is, is uh, do you like football? And I'm like, oh, I love, I'm from Canton, Ohio. I love football, right? This is where birthplace, hoo, 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 hoo type stuff, right? So I'm from, yeah, so yeah, I love football. And he's like, well, he goes, well, we're going to watch the Redskins. My wife, Sandy's going to make this big, huge pot of chili. You guys can come in. Uh, we'll have some of you guys come in and we'll watch football. It'll be great, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm down. He goes, I'll he goes, do you have a car? And I'm like, no. And he goes, well, I'll pick you up. I said, okay. He goes, I said, what time? He goes, I'll be here at nine. I'm like, football starts at one. What are we going to do at nine o'clock? He's like, well, we go to church first, and it's just such a rigmarole to come up here and get you after we go to church and go back home and get things started. So it's just easier to pick you up and take you to church first. And I'm like, I'm game. I'll go. Right? But I spent the next three years hanging out with Mike and Sandy Fair whenever I was back in country, not hopping around the globe. I spent the next three, three and a half years watching football. And then once the football got me locked in, guess what I was doing next? I was going over for, you know, Bible studies. I was going to the church for Wednesday night Bible studies. I was getting involved with the choir. I actually was helping babysit at that church. All because those two people had a mission and reached into people's lives to disciple them, to bring them closer to God, to let them know, hey, you are not alone. Wonderful people. So here's the story. I was thinking about this a couple months ago when I was seeing what I was, I was going to teach. And so I thought, you know, I have, a, I have a long list of people, and I'm sure every one of you in this room do too, of people who have brought me closer to God in my life. And so I started walking through that list and making phone calls and checking information and doing web searches, trying to find them. And out of the three people that I knew I had a chance of finding, uh, two of them had passed. And the third one was Mike and Sandy Fair. And it's been over 30 years. <clears throat> so I get a hold of I, what I think is their number. And I leave a nice voicemail. And, and she calls me back. And she's like, Sean. And I'm like, I, I saw it was a Virginia number. So, of course, I'm like, is this Sandy? And she goes, yeah. And I said, well, I don't know if you'd even remember me. And she goes, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, don't you know it's Sean? Sean, does Sean, right? But she's like, no, I don't. And Jamie looks at me and she goes, I would be so hurt. And I thought, I, I probably think I should be, I should be a little bit. But in my head, all I can do is go, these two people have dedicated their lives to reaching into other people's lives and, and discipling them, so many, they don't even know who I am. And I think I'm a pretty big deal, right? But they have no clue who Sean McCartney is because you was just one of many people whose lives that they reached into and made a difference. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. I look all the time for people that I can do that with. And it's because I can look back on Mike and Sandy Fair. I can look back on Reuben Nickerson. I can, not, I can look back on Mr. Roberts, who was my church bus driver, who came knocking on doors during the week to see if we wanted to go to church on Sunday and would honk the horn as he drove past my house, stop and lay on the horn till I woke up because, hey, that was before everybody had alarm clocks and cell phones and stuff, right? Uh, so he would honk his horn till I woke up and I'd come out the front door, living in Texas, dirt roads, wave at him. He'd drive down to the other road, end of the road, picking everybody up and come and get me on his way back. Right, that's God sending people into my life to disciple me, to bring me closer to him. 
I, I, as I look back on my life and look at the people that have had influence, it's like God handpicked each person. And I pray every day that God puts me in the same positions and look for opportunity to be that discipleship guy for other people. It, it's incredible when you can stop and look back. And once you hit your you know, 50s and some of you guys a little bit later, whatever. You know, we all can look back and, and see that road that God walked us through. And you know what? There are people in here that have struggled in life with lots of different things. Those are the things that are going to get you into somebody else's life. You know, if you had problems in the past with marriage or commitment or substances or whatever, there is somebody out there who's not going to listen to anybody but you when it comes to talking about having a saving relationship with Christ because you've been where I am kind of mentalities. And discipleship is for everybody. Right? We are all called. It doesn't say, and some of you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It says, you will be my witnesses. So however that looks, as believers, we are to be his witnesses. It's not only gratifying, it's glorifying. We're bringing glory to God because we're being faithful to the Great Commission. We're bringing people to God and we're strengthening their faith, uh, much like Peter did. And, and uh, I'm going to spend some time in Acts chapter 3 and 4. So if you guys, if you'd like to follow along, that's where we're going to be heading. But in order to not be here till 1030... I'm going to summarize some things. So in chapter 3, it starts off with a lame guy being healed. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's a guy who's crippled. He's been crippled for over 40 years, and he's outside the beautiful gate as Peter and John are getting ready to go inside. Just a little touch on that, right? Think about this. This guy's been crippled for over 40 years. He has had no hope of ever walking, but for the last three years, he's heard of this guy, Jesus, walking around in the temple, coming in and out of the city, who's been healing people. Now he hears Jesus has been crucified. That little glimmer of hope that he had is now gone. And, and Peter and John are, are, yeah, Peter and John are walking through that beautiful gate, and he's like, alms, alms, alms. Anybody have some alms, right? And Peter looks down at him, and he goes like this. Silver and gold I have none, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And he reaches down and he grabs him and says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Right? First of all, he didn't just say get up and walk. He looked down at this guy and grabbed his hand and made a connection. This guy, people don't make eye contact with beggars. You guys get off the exit up in Akron or get ready to get on the expressway from Akron. You make an eye contact. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Sometimes I do, sometimes I pretend like I got something going on here, right? I know that's not right. I don't know what my exact answer is supposed to be on that. Um, but they made eye contact with this guy. They grab him by the hand, they pull him up. And I say, Peter learned that from Jesus. Right? Remember, the next, remember the time when Peter's trying to walk on water and he says, Jesus, just fetch you, call me out. And Jesus says, well, come on. And Peter walks on water until what happens? 
Life gets a little turbulent and he loses focus of what he's supposed to be looking at, right? This guy, I think Peter learned part of that right there. When I was in Samoya, there was an alley we had to go back to to get to our compound. And on both sides of the compound, we called it, and I know it's not politically correct, but we called it Cripple Alley. There were people who were all crippled and they were laying on cardboard mats and they had little handles that they would just stick into the dirt and slide themselves everywhere they needed to go on the mat. And their legs looked like something from like the old Wizard of Oz movie where the Wicked Witch of the East was under the house and the legs curled back up under. That's how their legs looked. Peter's faith, when he reaches his stand down, that's how this guy's been crippled for 40 years. So even if his legs were perfect, they were just crippled, they wouldn't have no muscle. They wouldn't be connected very well, right? There'd be all sorts of problems and sores all over his leg. And he reaches down there and the bones, because Luke's a doctor, right? And the terms he uses in this book of Acts, when he talks about stuff there, seem to have a little bit of a medical terms to him. This guy's legs and feet and muscles reattach and grow. And he just stands up like he'd been sitting there waiting to do it his whole life. And it says he's hopping and skipping and jumping all the way through to the temple with him. That's a miracle, right? That's the miracle that Peter and John do. We see later in, in uh, the, rest, the rest of chapter 3 from 11 to about 26. Here again, just simplifying the story. Peter has an opportunity, right? He did the miracle. He takes the glory off of himself and gives it all to God, right? Everybody wants to know how Peter did this miracle. And he's like, I tell you what, I didn't do this miracle. This Jesus who you denied has done this miracle. And he gives this story of salvation to these next few verses, the story of salvation to the point where he's blaming everybody on there. He's at everybody who's in uh, Solomon's portico. He's, he's telling them that they are accountable for the, the death of Jesus. He's telling them that he is a Jew and that this is no new religion. This is a fulfillment of the old. So then he goes, all you have to do is repent. All you have to do is repent and your sins will be blotted out by Jesus. And he no sooner, he no sooner gets finished teaching this than the, uh, then the uh, temple guards come up in chapter 4. I would like to say that was distracting me, but I pretty much just distracted myself. So I can't take. <laughs> so, uh, so here we start in chapter 4, verse 1. So as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains and the temples and the Sadducees came upon them. Just like I said, they came upon him as they were speaking and they take him and they put him in jail. Many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So that's 2,000 more than was in chapter 3. And I think it's important to just stop for half a second here and just explain that all these people, these 5,000 new people, a lot of these people were in town for Pentecost. When we talk about in chapter 5 and 6 and all the, the financial deals and people giving money to the church, they're helping these people. These people came for Pentecost and stayed for, for what Peter had to say. They wanted to be discipled in what Peter was saying about Jesus because they were going to take this message back. They were going to take it back to where they came from. 
right? So when we talk about some of that stuff in five and six, this is some of the reasons. So then on verse five, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they set him in the midst, they inquired by the power or by what name did you do this? Peter's about to give an answer in verse 8, and we can see when we turn to, uh, well, I'll turn and I'll read here real quick, but it's in Luke 12, and it's also in Mark 13. Luke 12, verse 11, Jesus says to Peter and the disciples, he goes, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say, right? So the Holy Spirit's about to teach Peter what he's about to say, and Jesus has discipled Peter to expect this to happen, and not to mention, right, not to mention, not two months ago, or maybe just a little over two months ago, Jesus was in that very same room, being questioned by this very same group of people, and being sent to the cross, Peter is sitting in there. There's supposed to be 70 rulers from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, one high priest, scribes. So these two guys are surrounded by probably over 100 people, and they're questioning them. And they should be shaking in their sandals, right? Would you be? So Peter responds like this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if you are being examined, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Well, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his name, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. Sound afraid? Sound intimidated? Sounds like he was the one doing the intimidating. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Peter says in verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. True discipleship means people are going to recognize that you have been with Jesus. That we're not going to give in to the ways of this world. That we're not going to be just compromising people are going to look at you and have to make a decision whether they're going to be on your side with your savior or they're going to walk in their own separate way that's what discipleship is supposed to lead us that's where discipleship left led peter and james and john so they recognized that he had been with jesus his opposition 
right? Their opposition, when, you're, when your enemies recognize that you've been with Jesus, and we'll see right here, he goes, right? He says, but seeing a man was healed, was standing beside them, they had nothing else to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? First, first sign, right? They're looking for a way to still find them guilty, to still hold them in contempt, right? They could just get on board. What should we do with these men? For it's a notable sign that's been performed through them, and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. We can't deny it. But just in order that it may not spread any further um, among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So that they have taken sides. They're not denying Jesus. They're not denying the miracles. They're not denying Peter and John yet. They don't know what to do. All they know is there's a threat to their power and they're going to fight against it. Heaven forbid they look. Heaven forbid they examine the evidence and find that Jesus is Lord. No, they want to find a way to protect their power. And so they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. That's an important part, too, because in the Jewish law, witnesses were a big thing. And we know that there were over 500 witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened, right? Bringing glory to God, living a godly life. For a man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Peter spent the better part of three years getting to know Jesus. Getting to know his thoughts, his actions, his words, his mindset. Uh, you know, they playing together, hanging out, right? He knew, figured out what made him laugh, what made him cry, his disposition towards things. Uh, Peter was being discipled, loved, corrected, trained in righteousness, rebuked. He was challenged. Jesus was challenging his disciples to go, taking them out of their comfort zones, and he was forgiven. Things that he struggled with while Jesus was on his earth, the Holy Spirit gave him the power to overcome, even after, and even after all of this stuff, uh, he still failed at his first attempt. Right? right after Jesus was arrested, he still made some mistakes. That should be encouraging to us men as going out into the world to make disciples that uh, we, can, we can blow it sometimes. It doesn't disqualify us. We are not disqualified from service to Christ. But do we disqualify ourselves sometimes? We do it to ourselves though, right? Jesus has forgiven us. Jesus has given us power to go out in his name and witness to other folks and we live in a country where we're still able to do that and we're living in a country where we can go out there and do it freely and not have to worry about the repercussions and uh, we should be doing it and, and more so than just in the church but in the church also so like I said walking on water I feel like 
that story helped us to get to this rise up and walk, just the faith of doing something impossible, right? Um, we talked about Luke 12, 11 through 12, um, where Peter was given the power through the Holy Spirit to an- give an account in the synagogues. Um, all these lessons applied to Peter, um, but they apply to us too. And just just know that um, in discipleship, you know, it's... Tony Evans once gave this story, and I'll, I'll probably, I'll end this right here before we go into discussion. Uh, there was a stonemason in front of a, an archway, and the guy was... They had the whole archway completed, but, but the capstone. And the stonemason was down on the ground, chiseling on this rock. And the guy walks past him and he says, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm, I'm making the capstone. And he says, so where does that go? And he goes, well, it goes up there. He goes, so you're shaping it down here so it fits up there? You're, it's being formed down here, you're saying, so that it fits up there? You know, so of course, Tony Evans, he starts getting that smile on his face and nodding his head. You get it? Because we're being formed down here so that we fit in up there. And that's the same thing with us, right? We're, we're getting formed. We're going through discipleship with others. We're discipling others. We're getting formed down here to continue the work for up there. We got three questions, and I got, it's, it's 8 o'clock, so we got about... How about we take like 10 minutes and then we'll close? Uh, I got two questions for you, and it's just simple. Uh, how is God equipping you to, to do discipleship, uh, and how is God using you to equip others? And this is just something that I want you guys, I want you to talk about, and then I also, you should take it home, and if this is something that you feel like you need help in in that area, um, then... There's uh, Steve Brogan is our discipleship pastor here, and I know that he has discipleship training in September. I was uh, told this afternoon here, September 15th and 16th, so be looking out for that too. If discipleship is an area where you feel like you really could use some training, uh, we, we have that offered to us here at Maranatha too, so... I hope we had some good discussion there around the tables. I know it could take, you know, with the many, you have five or six guys at the table and you talk about that, you could probably go for an hour, not 10 minutes. Uh, but I, let me just finish with this. Uh, out of all the things that we could probably talk about, uh, we got it narrowed down to about three, three benefits that I, I have here for uh, discipleship. Uh, first of all, di- discipleship uh, builds humility. Um, you know, James 4.10 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. Um, I was just telling Andy, there was a uh, time when I first started the nursing home uh, ministry with Steve Marshall over there at uh, Whitewood Village. There was a couple that came in and uh, they were Catholic and I was teaching. It was the first time I really got to teach there. And uh, I'm teaching. I think I'm doing fine. I don't know. I thought I was. And this, this old timer gets up now they're in a assisted care living so they're they're older and uh he stands up and i think he was catholic and he looks at his wife and she goes he goes let's get out of here this guy doesn't know what he's talking about let's get out of here and i'm like uh, uh, 
You want to talk about humility? You had to have some real quick right there. Uh, especially, you know, at that point in his life where he, anything could come out of his mouth at any time. Um, she looked terrorized. The wife looked terrorized. She sat in a seat and refused to leave. And I said, you can go. I understand. It's no problem. And then, uh, but he leaves. She stays. And uh, 10 minutes later, he barges through the door again. And he's like, I told you this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let's get out of here. So what a, what a great way uh, to keep myself humble is I don't know what I'm talking about. Just ask that guy. Um, <laughs> so the second one is discipleship unites us with fellow believers. Uh, John 17, uh, 21 and 20 to 23, we got this. Um, so I do not, in verse 20 says, I don't ask these things for only for you, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Uh, discipleship brings us unity in Christ. And the world will know that we are one. And w- they will know that we are one with God. And the last one is discipleship equips us for faithfulness. Uh, Hebrews 13.21 Equip. And it starts back a little bit in 20 there again. So it's now made the God of peace who brought him, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, I, I want to just remind you that if you feel like this is an area where you need, need to be strengthened, uh, there are those classes through, through Maranatha coming up in September. Um, this has been a good lesson for me to study for uh, and a little bit convicting to me. So I just ask that as you go forward, you guys are looking for opportunities to disciple, looking for opportunities to be in people's lives. Uh, and with that, I just want to close and remember that, you know, today's the day of prayer. Um, every day is a day of prayer, right? I mean, if you love Lord, you're talking to him. I have a good friend uh, who had to do something today for the day of prayer, and he had to ask me uh, how to pray. And I'm like, he's your dad. Just talk to him. And if somebody else is listening, they'll know your relationship status. Just talk to him, right? And that's all we got to do. When we go to God, we're talking to our Father. Uh, we don't have to have fluff and a bunch of uh, big fancy words for people to hear. Um, we're talking to God. He's going to see you through all that stuff anyway and see your heart. So share your heart. Share your heart with him. Share your heart with others. So let me pray and close this out. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this lesson tonight. We thank you uh, for the opportunity that we have here at Maranatha for this men's ministry Father, we pray for opportunities in our lives so that we can reach into other people's lives and then uh, that you would equip us, uh, then that you would equip them, that each member in this room right now, Lord, would have somebody in mind that they could be working with. Um, 
And we know that we're never too mature, Lord. We always should be humble, uh, that we should always be learning something. We should always be growing closer to you through your believers, uh, that Sunday nights and, or Sundays and Thursday nights aren't the only days that we're supposed to be gathering with God's people. Help us to have the right relationship with you, Lord. We pray that we uh, would get home safely tonight. We ask, Father, that you would just watch over uh, each and every person in this room. Give us the opportunities, Lord, to serve you. And we thank you and we ask this in your son's name. Amen.